Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you today? Man, awesome, awesome. Thanks for the enthusiasm. So glad you chose to be with us here this morning on Father's Day. Great to see you. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And uh, if you're like me, you have kids that they just, they take too much delight in seeing pain and mishaps come into your life, right? I mean, that's my kids nowadays. I stub my toe, they're laughing, you know. I drop something, they're giggling. I make a wrong turn or something like that, or you get the recalculating thing, they're in the back, they're just laughing and on and on. And this is life, right? It's all good. It's all love, I think, I think. And how, how my wife did that so well by telling you, man, we have something special for you. You're going to come and work next week, right? I couldn't get away with that, but she does. A at least we're going to feed you, and, and then you're going to work, and... God willing, you'll be, you know, mighty men, warriors of God, and you'll participate in this prayer walk, which is going to be a, just a good time. Three routes mapped out, you know, going to have leadership there in each one. People coming from Virginia to join us, students from Liberty College, which some we probably should put out there. We have a group of students and a leader coming from uh, Liberty University down south. They're going to come in and join us uh, for that day. Uh, they're coming here to walk the city and to pray with us and as well to turn around and, and, and serve and work here. So let's encourage them, right, with our presence, with all of that, hanging out, eating breakfast, and then praying and then serving. What a super spiritual day. Now, if you battle something long enough, it can bring you to settle for something less. This, you're going to see this is common in life, Right? If you battle something long enough, you're going to settle for less. M many times, for us who are aware of God and know God, we, we wind up settling for less than God's standards, which means we settle for less than God's blessing in our lives. I mean, you battle, and, and, and many of you, even in an admirable way, it's admirable that you're fighting, and, and then the time comes where you just get stuck. It happens to all of us. It happens in our marriage Christy and I right now, we're 22 years married. That blows my mind. Getting ready to kick into 23 soon. It does. I think, our, I think our anniversary lands on a Sunday this year. Yeah, I think it lands on a Sunday. So uh, big deal. So, and, you know, and I'm not, when I say, when I say we get, we've been stuck maybe I think two times that I know definitively we got stuck over 22 years. I'm not saying that it's the only time we've had problems or difficulties. I don't think a week goes by where there's some tension. Certainly we've had periods of difficulties. I'm talking about stuck, meaning we're, we're, we're just going to start to tolerate and we're just going to settle now. We don't think we can get through this. We, 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 don't, we don't think there's anything more than this, and we begin to settle now. And in those times when we or you or us, when we begin to settle for less... We're just tired of battling. It's in those moments that God, I believe, whispers in our ears and says, aim higher. Aim higher. Do not settle for less. In your life, in your relationship, in your occupation, and all that you are, do not settle for less. We talk about the best is yet to come, you know, part of that, and all of redemption, because that's really that message, the best is yet to come. It's about redemption, and all that, there's so much more. Battle on, don't settle for less. And that's what God was telling Christy and I. And so what did we do? Well, well we, we went to a counselor, a marriage counselor. 
And, and I really was looking forward to that because I'm kind of more the vocal person and I've got the narrative all laid out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this, you know, I got it. I'm going to win this, you know. I don't say that to myself, but that's what's going on. And then we get there, and what do you think happens? It's really difficult because the marriage counselor now starts to point out things in me where I, in areas in my life where I'm settling for less other areas, not just my marriage. And I don't like that. I mean, I'm okay with telling people how to live their lives, but I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life, right? No, really, I, I, it starts to disturb me, and not just in our first session, because, you, know, we, you know, we're going every week and then every other week, and there are times where I'm upset, I'm yelling at the counselor, I'm yelling at Chrissy, I'm all over the place. And, and, and the counselor's, you know, he's talking to me, and probably gets an, an idea of where I'm coming from, and, and it's this Ephesians 5 thing, and he's saying, you know, David, love your wife, as Christ loved the church, he served the church, and Jesus gave his life for the church, so when it comes to your wife, David, listen to me. Serve and sacrifice. No, Dave, look, when you, you talk to me about Ephesians 5, just tell me two words, serve and sacrifice. Because those are the only things I want to get out of that passage, David. Let God work in your wife to do his glory in her life through the rest of it. But you just serve and sacrifice for your wife. And not in a way that you gauge or that you think is best, but in a way that you know will please her, spiritually strengthen her, emotionally strengthen her, and make her feel good about who she is as your wife and as a person, yeah? And then pretty much the rest of it was... Him, week to week to week, kind of just drilling that in me to show me where I had settled for less. And, and in my marriage, even really more so in is me as a person in different areas that was hindering me in really serving and sacrificing my wife the way she wanted to. So she would be saying certain things and I would be interpreting them in different ways, you know. I, I, you know, I, I, if you could not do this or I need you to do this or is, this is more important than that or I'm concerned about this. And, of course, I would dilute it in a way that I wouldn't have diluted it before we met. <laughs> but now somehow I am because, of course, you know, I know best and I've got the whole picture and I'm going to. And in the end, I wasn't serving and sacrificing my wife the way God had called me to, meaning I had settled for less. I was living my standard, not God's standards. Does that make sense? Don't settle for less in your life. Anywhere. Don't do that. Don't let things enter your life that is, you know, don't battle and fight and then get tired and settle for less. We do that in relationships. You know, let's just toss it out there, you know, pornography. Don't, I mean, you know, it creeps in. Relationships aren't doing well. Doesn't mean that's what would have to bring the onset of that, but it could or certainly exaggerate it, increase it. So re lack of intimacy or relationship not doing well and intimacy not only in sexuality but just in getting along. And, and now this begins to creep in and either there's a justification or just a capitulation to that. And, and, and what's happened is you're settling for so much less. You as a, as a human being, let alone then in your marriage, in your relationship, Think about, for aside from the sinfulness and the cooperation and the exploitation, in my opinion, of people, what's happening now is think of the time and energy. And I don't only mean when you're in a place of indulgence in the material. I'm talking about now in how it sits in your brain and through the days and hours and minutes, through the days, how much it pops around in there. It's, um, it's massive how much it will take from you. And pause right now and think, man... What if I 
took, what if I decided I'm not going to settle for less? Right now, today, Father's Day 2018, I am not going to settle for less in my life anymore in this area. And you know what? It's going to do something for me so much to just serve my wife, to do something for her that's meaningful, to care for her. Wow. You will bring intimacy into your marriage. You will build up your mate. Right? You will see something in your wife that you have never, ever seen before. I believe that with all my heart. Why? Because you're saying, in my life, in our marriage, I will no longer settle for less. God has told me to aim higher. Yes? Aim higher, people. God is calling you to that. God is saying this morning to thirst and hunger for righteousness. That's what Jesus was saying in his Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, saying hunger and thirst, not for the things of this world, not for the things that are ungodly, but for righteousness, God's standard. If you want a blessed life, meaning a happy life, because in the Sermon on the Mount, in these chapters, when Jesus has blessed all the poor, blessed are the, he, he, that word blessed means happy you want this happy life, get above the bar and thirst and hunger for righteousness. This standard, last week we talked about that. We we used an illustration of a high jump where you have a crossbar, right? And we said, okay, so here's God's righteous standard. And then we said there were these religious leaders, these Pharisees, and they're adding adding to it man-made rules. And they're raising the bar in an ungodly, unholy, unrighteous way to where just people, men or women, can't get to. And then they stand by and they judge people, knowing they can't get there anyway. They judge people and as they watch them fail to reach what they have told them they need to do and be to get close to God and to be right with God. And that's religion. And that's not what God has for us. And yet the church in many ways, through different ways, distortion or exaggeration of doctrine, of traditions, of practices, of approaches, we have done this. Even of culture, denominations, we have done that. And that's not not the standard God has, unrighteous. And then we talk about the world. Well, the world comes along and takes the bar and they just throw it away, right? Meaning no standard, no truth. Meaning truth is as you see it. You are the author of your own truth. You please yourself first and foremost. And that might work really well short term if you're on the winning side of that. Often there are people on the other side that hurt or in pain. And I would say that even when it does seemingly go well, it's a short term thing. That long term, it's destructive. It's simply destructive to relationships. And relationships are the spice and the vitality of life, right? And doing what I do for a living and all that I do is a pastor involved in mental health counseling. I'm telling you without question this way of living, of people making up their own truth to do what pleases them and justifying that meaning tossing away God's standard, there is no standard, this brings pain and destruction into relationships. More than anything else, more than anything else, you can track it all to this way of thinking. But God's calling us not to settle for that. Whether it's the pharisaical, self-righteous type of a standard, or whether it's no standard, God is calling us to his standard, his righteous standard. This morning. Now, Jesus goes on to say, and he, what he talks about is hey, 
God is calling us to get unstuck. And Jesus is talking about that we would move on from a critical spirit. Last week we talked about that, how, you know, how some of us, we carry this critical spirit in our homes, in our, in our church even, and even with those outside the church who don't know God. And we talked about not judging, where Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and he, said, he taught us, and he taught those people there he was speaking to not to judge. Now, Jesus could have ended it right there. He could have said, listen, teaching, don't be self-righteous, don't be judgmental, don't condemn others, don't have a critical spirit, but he doesn't. He goes on in verses 3, 4, and 5, and what Jesus is saying is, okay, now no one's judging you, and now no one's condemning you, and I, Jesus, fully man, fully God, I don't condemn you either. Now that you, all that's happening, I want you to aim higher, right? I want you to go places. I want you to spur others to aim higher and to do better. Because there's a greater life waiting for you above God's bar, God's standard. I want your marriage to be above the bar. I want your career to be above the bar. I want all of you to be above the bar. See, he doesn't just inspire us to not to judge. He calls us to do greater things. And Jesus is providing this as we say what? He's not just giving us information, but he's bringing us to a place of transformation. He wants them to know God is calling them to a greater place. He wants them to know that God does not want religion, but he wants relationship. He's telling the people here, the time has come for you to unlearn the religion that you've been taught. You have to unlearn it and because Half of learning is unlearning what you thought and knew previously, right? And that's why we're doing this series called Unlearned Religion. And Jesus kept saying, you've heard it said, when referring to what the Pharisees, the religious leaders have been teaching the people. You've heard it said, but that was wrong. That's not right. He said, but I say to you, I'm giving you a new teaching, a better way of being. I'm, I'm bringing to you the standard, God's standard, God's righteousness. And that's what you want to look to. That's what you want to go to. That's what you want to get to. And we need to know that we, we don't get there on our own. It's Jesus who makes the way. We, we, we don't achieve that righteousness within our own self. No, we truly believe that is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, him being who he is, the son of God, fully man, fully God, that God's grace being poured out into our lives, that's how we are even aware of that righteousness and that standard. And that's how we kind of, in sports way, we get above the bar. That's how we arrive there. And we believe that. So when we look at others who have not arrived there, it's not like we're better than them. It's not like, okay, uh, you know, we've done something fantastic. No, we know that it's because of Jesus and what he did and us identifying with that and putting our faith in that that this enables us to be there by the grace of God. And this enables us or diffuses having a critical spirit, which will slowly bring us to a place of settling for less in areas of our relationship and bring us to a place of getting stuck in maybe perhaps self-righteousness, which are really dangerous place, and self-sufficiency. And now we're not aiming higher. 
because we really believe that we've got it together. And when then those around us, you know, uh, fail to meet our expectations, we have a problem with that. Or if those around us behave in certain ways that somehow it shows that we're insufficient or it shows some of our blemishes or our hiccups or our voids, well, we take exception with them too. We blame it on them. And all along, it's that we've gotten stuck. We're settling for less and we no longer are aiming higher, meaning we are not, we are falling back from God's righteousness. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Is it still here? It is. So listen, here, right here. Jesus is saying, take the plank out of your own eye. There's a large piece of wood, right? And then you'll be able to remove the small piece of sawdust from your friend's eye. And he's drawing a picture here because Jesus was a carpenter. And he had grown up in that. And uh, he knew what it was to get a little bit of a sawdust in your eye. It's not pleasurable. It, it can mess up, you know, your, your vision and it can impair your senses. You often need somebody to help you take it out. What Jesus is saying is that when someone has a, a, a plank in their own eye and another person comes running along and they got sawdust in their eye, Jesus is saying, get the plank out of your eye first. Meaning, he's implying you've been walking around with a plank. A plank in your eye. Meaning, it's, it's just taking over your vision. It's impairing all of life. It's messing with your senses at a high degree. Not just talking about spectre. Meaning, this is how you're walking through life right now. You are settling for so much less. You are so stuck and you could only see. Your vision is so limited, which means... The capacity that you think you have as a human being is so limited. And you're just settling for less. And you're not, you're not going to God's standard. Jesus is giving this to them. It sounds crazy, but he's doing it to get their attention, to, to get them to understand that, hey, you've got some unaddressed self-righteousness going on in your life. You're, you're, you're missing it. God has called you to so much more. I mean, God awoken you. God drew, drew you to him. God made you aware of this righteousness. And, and you've tasted that. And, and, and now, instead of coming to a place of a relation with God, instead now you're drifting towards religion where you're in control and you're making the rules and you're just, and this is not what God is. And you're coming to a place of, of kind of a self-sufficiency. And Jesus is saying, man, you've got a, a plank in your own eye. Jesus is saying, stop judging others. We don't want to judge people here. We don't want to judge people out there. We want, to just, we want to introduce them to Jesus Christ and let God draw them to his great righteous standard. huh? We want to let God use us to build others up so that they would know Jesus Christ and they would know the righteousness of God. Yes? Yeah, that's what we want them to know, God's righteousness. And, and we, will, we want to clean up our own lives. 
No one's judging us. No one's condemning us. But God has revealed his righteous standard to us. <laughs> He's poured out his grace. And we are aware now of a greater way. And we want to, empowered by God, clean up our lives and get this stuff that we've been, that we've been settling with out of our lives. We want to aim higher. We want to go above the bar. Right? We want to be blessed. We want to be blessed. You know, there's a person in here who every time, you, almost every time you see him, you ask him, how's he doing? He says, I'm blessed. Who is that? Ron, right? Ron. I mean, never fail, day in, day out. How you doing? I'm blessed. First time I remember seeing Ron, uh, he's probably about 62 now, but first time I remember seeing him was um, we were maybe going about, we were, we were having church for about a year maybe. By the way, today, Father's Day, is seven years from when we first started Cheer City Church. Huh? Yeah, yeah, how incredible is that? Seven incredible years, 20-something people that first Sunday. Now we're a church, we average probably total kids and adults on a Sunday, upwards of around 300 people. The whole church is probably kicking up around 450 to 500 those people who come on any four to six week period. What an impact this church is making in the community, the greater God in the region. I'm so grateful. And the best, the best is yet to come. Seven wonderful years. Congratulate my dear wife, Christy. We thank all of you. So I'm, we're coming home from uh, the cinema after church driving. And my kids say, hey, dad, that guy was in church today. And here's, you know, guy walking. I pull over, introduce myself. It's Ron. Ask him if he wants to ride. He said, no, I'm good. I'm, I don't have a long way to walk. So, okay. Well, you know, I go home. And uh, probably that Sunday or that Monday, you know, I'm going through the envelopes, you know, and, and I'm, you know, seeing who gave. I do. I pray. I'm thankful to God. It's what I do. I'm a pastor. I love it. You know, I love to pray for people. I love to know what's going on in people's lives. Spiritual disciplines. I'm all about that. And I, and I see... Ron Drost. I used to call him purposely his name the wrong way. What was it, Drost, I used to say, or Drost? Yeah, yeah. When I married him, I, 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 I said it the right way, huh? So anyway, I, uh, and he gave, I think he gave $10. I, I, was, pretty, I was pretty impressed because my, my, my assessment was I don't think he had much. And so I just said, you know what, so perhaps some practical, maybe, maybe just God, Holy Spirit moving me, I decided to call him up. And uh, which is this not uncommon in how this all works, you know? As I tell people, participate in every which way and you build relationships. And so I call him up and I tell him, I say, hey, Ron, this is uh, Pastor Dave. I, I'd like to come and uh, come over your home and, you know, meet you and spend some time with you. And he's like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> and I said, well, no, no, Ron, you haven't done anything wrong. I just want to come and say Hi. And so, uh, you know, the day comes, few days later, I pull up. He lives in a high-rise, the high-rise in Garner, the largest one, the tall one. That's so seven, eight, nine, ten stories. And so I, uh, I get out of the car. I walk up to the front of the building. And he, literally, he's like shaking. I mean, I, it's noticeable. He's so nervous. I say, hey, are you okay? It's, it's, you're okay? Everything all right? He goes, I, I've never had like, you know, like a, a priest or like a, a reverend or whatever come to my house. I'm like, no, it's good. It's, it's all right. I just, just want to say hi to you and, you know, let's, you know. I said, you live in here? He said, yeah. I said, okay, let's, why don't we just go up to your place for a little bit. So we get in the elevator and we go up now. And I don't know, at some point, whatever it was, four or five, fifth floor, the doors open up to the elevator. He gets off and I follow him. 
And now he makes a left and he walks to his apartment and he opens up the door and right away I could see it's a very small place. It's, a, it's clearly, it's a studio because I mean from when we walk step in to where the, where the far wall is, it's about maybe 12, 14 feet, I don't know, 16 feet. And you know, I mean, I can, I can see the whole place like that. And so we take about five or six steps in and he stops like abruptly and he looks at me and he says, uh-oh. And I said, what do you mean uh-oh? He's like, this isn't my place. I said, well, uh-oh, man, come on. <laughs> and so we, it's like, <laughs> I mean, like we were like hitting the teacher, like trying to get out the door. I'm like, this is terrible. You're going to rob somebody's house. Don't bring me along. Well, it turned out he was so nervous, right, that he had gotten off the wrong floor. I mean, the elevator opened up and he got off when the doors opened up. And they, got, they open up on the wrong floor, cause, you know. And then he makes a left and he walks up to that door. It just so happens their door was open and he walks in. And I walk in with him. Well, we go up to his place and uh, he's got a mattress on the floor, a broken wooden bookshelf, small, a small table like this with an air tray. That's all he has, you know. Uh, he had been living, I think, in the better part of that, that part of that year. He had s severe alcohol problems, been, lived in the woods, was living in a sober home, a halfway house, and from there now he had just come into that, that place right there and he had just come to church like that week, the week before. Ron kept coming. He just, he got a bike and he'd drive his bike to church every Sunday. He'd like be the first one there. He'd be standing there in front of the cinema just to help out, meaning I'm coming to help set up. He was never asked. He, every single Sunday morning, Ron would be there waiting to help set up. If he wasn't there, we were like, where's Ron? Something's wrong, <laughs> you know? Time passed. We were so blessed by his efforts that uh, he wasn't working at the time. He started working slowly, a little part-time, that we came together and we sent him to Haiti uh, on, a, on a missions trip. And he had a phenomenal time, so much so that a year later, he went out there, raised over $2,400 himself, and he went to Eastern Africa for a two-week tr missions trip to East Africa. That's an intense missions trip. And the people were like, well, you, you think he can handle this? I'm like, man, the dudes lived in the woods. <laughs> you know, he'll do, Eastern, he'll do East Africa fine. And he did. He thrived there. He did fantastic. Okay? And, you know, one day the people here who govern the money, who oversee the money, the finances, uh, all that comes in, they come to me and they say, hey, uh, Ron's made a contribution, but the, the, the wording he used, it's, we've not seen this before. We don't know what he wants to do with this, what we should do with it. So I'm like, Ron, what is this? You know, just thanks for giving, but what is it? He said, well, that, that's my extra. I'm like, what do you mean extra? He said, well, you know, I tithe. He'd come to place, I, I, I tithe. Whatever I get now, I, I tithe. I give 10% to the church of everything I make. But it means so much to me. I'm so blessed and I want to bless others. And it means so much to do this. That just what I do is I, I take an extra 1% every week and I put it aside so that in case I get laid off or I lose my job or something happens, I'll still have that extra money to give if I don't have money. How incredible, right? That is. It is. And so when the end of the year comes, if all went well, I just give it to the church. Yeah. That's Ron Gross. That, that's incredible. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Well, you know what? This past week, we, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you something else. Time comes, probably about now, maybe two years ago, I get a call from Ron, and he says, uh, uh, Pastor Dave, my son's been hit by a car. Son's probably in his 30s or 40s. He said, yeah, he was coming out of a bar in Worcester, and he got hit by a car. 
and he's and he's in he's in uh, UMass. He's in the hospital. So it's late at night. I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I go up there with him. I walk in the room, and you know, just sort of my sense, experience from doing this, this is not good. This is not you know not going to go well. And I speak with the doctors, and they tell me that it, it's not going to go past this night. That you know that he'll he'll his brain will cease to function any hour now. And his organs will begin to shut down. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and like honestly, like my faith is, you know, the level of incompetency is, and it's just rising up in me and my, 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 I'm looking at Ron, I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's gonna, I can't imagine the regret that he's carrying, you know, I drank, my son is drinking, and oh this, and oh that, and mistakes, and all the things we carry that pour into us, and, and just the, the tragedy of, of having a child rip out of your life like that, I'm thinking, can he handle this? I'm like, oh, this guy, all to get to this point now and to just be pulled down. And, uh, and I tell him, I'm like, hey, Ron, and I, and I tell him, I tell him what the doctors inform me. He says, uh, I'm blessed. I said, I'm blessed. I'm like, okay. he said, I'm blessed. He says, you know, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. He goes, no, 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 really, like, like they wouldn't even be able to find me. I'd be out drunk somewhere. I'd be out drinking somewhere. Or I would do something, I'd be out doing something disturbed somewhere. But because of God, I, I'm, I'm here at my son's side, you know, able to talk it to him. He says, you think he can hear me? I said, Ron, honestly, I wholeheartedly do. Not only do I think that within my own sense, but I, I've had experiences of people have told me, yeah, that we, you know, that when they came out, they have heard me or, so yeah, I really do think and, and that, that, that he's aware or that God is, work, is working through our prayers. I really do believe this, Ron. I don't know the sum of it all, but yeah, I, I think that all this engaged. He said, well, then I'm glad to be here and I'm glad that I can speak to him and I'm glad I'm not out there. He said, and you know, people have come to me over these last several months and they've been telling me how my son is so proud of me the way I'm living my life. And he's told me how he, it meant so much to him that I went to Haiti and, and other countries to help people and to do things for them and that he's been bragging about me, about what I'm doing, traveling the world and, 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 and caring for people and what I'm doing at my church and making a difference. And he was, he was just proud, right? He said, so I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm crazy sad, I'm, but, but I'm blessed. Amazing, huh? Absolutely amazing. God's righteous standard, my friends. God bringing us to a greater place. God knowing what's ahead. This past week, we had uh, the GCAC banquet. It's where Chair City Church, you, come together, volunteer. We had over 30 volunteers, and we give the GCAC uh, a banquet. The GCAC is the largest benevolence organization in the greater Gardner region. They serve thousands. They feed them. They help them with utilities, housing, and all other crucial necessities in their life. And we give them this banquet. And it's for their staff, their board, their volunteers. About I think it was like 90-something people came, and we gave them a five-course meal. It was so awesome. Well, every year, the GCAC honors their volunteer of the year. And the way they select that volunteer is an interesting process. Cards are submitted or paper with no name. So all they do is list the activities and the contributions the person has made, meaning, you know, how long they've been serving there, how they served, what events they served, but no gender, no name, only what was done, the, 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 how they served. 
And this year, 2018, the GCAC Volunteer of the Year was Ron Drost. How awesome is that, huh? How awesome. Ron Drost was acknowledged and honored by his peers. He, how amazing is that? Because Ron didn't settle for less. And because he came into a community of people, you, you did this that did not judge, that did not look down, but instead built him up, huh? Because he had nothing that, that, that came together and valued him as a human being and came together and built him up. That's who we are, right? That's our culture, to God be the glory. What an incredible, I want you to know the award he got was presented to him from the congressman's representative and it came from the state house in Boston, from the senators and congressmen in Boston. They gave him this award. That's pretty amazing, huh? This is God. This is I'm not settling for less. This is I'm going to a higher place. This is I'm not going to make up the rules myself. I'm not going to add rules that aren't needed, and I'm not going to throw out the standard and live by no standard. I'm going to live by God's righteousness. I'm going to thirst and hunger for righteousness, yes? All right. We have to get on out of here, huh? Listen, the church is a place of imperfect people who are in the process. We are in the process. We have not arrived. You know what that means? Sometimes we come to God and we think we've arrived. It's like you get married. You say your vows, you're at the altar, and you think, okay, we're married now, we've arrived. And you've, you've not. You don't, you, you're actually going into a process. But the people, the couples who think we've arrived are the ones who stagnate. They, they plateau and they actually don't. They actually start going backwards and they wind up settling for less. They wind up getting stuck. This morning, get unstuck in your marriage and realize you've not arrived. That you should be in a process and you should be in flight. As people who follow Jesus Christ here at Shear City Church, we are in flight. We have not arrived, yes? If you're living out your life following Jesus and it looks healthy, you need to know that you should be in flight. I am in flight. I have not arrived. Now, that might worry some of you. I'm a minister. No, no, no. That's a good thing. You and me together, Christian and I, my kids, we are in flight. And it's a process. We are not perfect people. But we are people who are in a are making progress in a process. You see, religion about God is a rival. Relationship, relationship with God is in flight. We want to unlearn this arrival way of thinking, this unhealthy, un, you know, standard way of thinking, this traditional way of thinking, this carnal, worldly way of thinking. It's not of God. I arrive when I hear my Lord and Savior say to me face to face, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. I've, I've arrived, right? Until then, I am in flight by God's grace. Why don't you come up, team? We're good. You see, when you arrive, you just, you just get dull. You get complacent. Years back, Christy uh, went to go see her friend in New Mexico. Uh, for, she wanted to be there for her for New Year's Eve. I said, sure, go, you know, have fun at Four Corners. Well, now it's time for her to come back, and it's New Year's Day, and there's a problem with the flights. She can't fly into Boston, and she can't even get into Hartford. And it's about like 9 o'clock at night, 
the only time, the next flight, next time she'll be coming in, she can get into, I guess, Boston at 10 o'clock the next morning. Um, well, you know, I could have said, hey, you know, you know, fortunately you can get in at 10 in the morning, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't, you know, have something to eat, don't worry about it, and, uh, you know, I'll be praying for you. But I'm her husband. Let me say that again. I'm her husband. I'm the one who God has called to put in her life to protect her, to love her, to nurture her, to make her feel valued. So why would I say that? Unless it's the only thing that could be said. So I went out there and I found a flight with her coming into Newark, New Jersey. Same, same amount of time flying, but she'd get in about, I think, like one in the morning. And she wouldn't have to sleep in the airport and lay there on the ground or on the floor or on some seats. She wouldn't have to do that. But most of all, she'd know that I love her, that I'm still pursuing her. And so I, I got in my car and I drove four hours to Newark, New Jersey. She learned that I picked her up and I drove four hours back. Why? Because she, I serve her and I sacrifice for her. I tell you when I mess up, and I do, but I'll tell you something I do well. I serve and sacrifice for my wife. I do this. And I so encourage you to do this, all of you, to serve and sacrifice for your wife. Because it's deposits and the withdrawals. Now, you're probably better than I do, and you, and you don't make as many withdrawals, okay? I make a lot of withdrawals in my marriage. But, man, I make some crazy deposits. That my wife knows that I mean the world to her and that I will tear down heaven and hell for her and I will protect her and I will love her and she will feel valued and she will feel important and I will pursue her. And those are one of those moments and there's been a lot of them. So I'm telling you, listen, don't settle for a lesser standard as a husband. Don't do that. Don't get stuck as a husband. Don't let circumstances or money or anything or an argument that day, nothing as a husband Rise up, go to God's righteous standard, serve and sacrifice for your wife, yes? All right, let's close this out. You see, the plank in the Pharisee eyes, the plank, because Jesus was talking to Pharisees, the plank in their eye was that they thought they had arrived. They had that attitude of being like we're righteous, and it had permeated, and it still exists today to this day. It's why people suffer so much and struggle so much to overcome difficulty within a church because there's this attitude that permeates that, you know, we, we've arrived. And yet we haven't arrived. We're not even close, man. Listen, don't embrace this attitude of arrival. Instead, be thrilled and rejoice that you are in flight and the best is yet to come because God's plan of redemption is phenomenal and that he's going to be doing more in your life than you could have imagined, more than you could measure, and more than you asked him to it, while he takes you through this process of sanctification, of making you more and more and more like him for his plan in your life. Aim higher. Aim higher today. Don't leave here today, today, without aiming higher. Thirst for righteousness today. Hunger for righteousness today. Hunger and thirst for God's perfect plan in your life. Aim higher. Why don't you stand? We will close this out. Sunday's here. It's such a beautiful time to come together like we do. In the coming days and weeks, we talked about pressing on in the summertime, about we don't pull back in the summertime. Oh, it's the summertime. 
we've arrived, we got it together, we're Christians, we don't have to really participate as much in the summer. That's just a distorted, depraved way of looking at your faith. It just really is. Now, I love some of you, and I know, I know it's your plan, it's your tradition. That's cool. But you know what? Now, hang in there with me. I thank God for what he's done in your life. And I thank God that he's blessed you. But I'll tell you this, I'd consider this. While you're mapping out that plan of yours, there's someone like Ron waiting for you to pour into their life. I'm just telling you that God is looking to do something incredible in you through them. And that in doing so, he, that you might even be stuck. You might have plateaued, meaning that you feel, okay, we've got this. It's good. We got this together. And God is saying, yeah, you know what? But I got something so much greater for you. I've got something so much, so incredible to you. You can't measure it. You can't imagine it. Meaning you, you, you just, your view's limited. Let it go. Get unstuck. Don't settle. Trust in me in all things. Pour yourself into the kingdom of God in the coming weeks and months. Let's not pull back. I refuse to pull back in the summertime from the very beginning. We, what do we do? We plant in the summer and we harvest in the fall here. So the GCAC banquet, that kind of kicks it off. The teens, this past week, Wednesday's the GCA, GCAC banquet, and then the next Thursday night, you know, the teenagers from this church are walking around. They're doing five miles, a walkathon for a, a, a man who is uh, handicapped, and he, he wanted to go to camp. He wanted to go away for a week in camp. It's very expensive, and the teens did a walkathon from this church, and they raised money to help him go to that camp. How awesome is that? Yeah. It is. They walked five miles and I walked something. I, I walked, okay? And now this coming Saturday, we're going to serve. We're going to walk. We're going to encourage these people, that these students from Liberty University that are coming up. We're going to come together and pray. And then it just keeps going throughout the summer with our God at the Box Office series and inviting people and special inviting for the kids campaign and, and going out into the city not once but twice out into the, into the community. This is we serve you have something called a join the team card right here. <clears throat> I so encourage you to participate. Participate. Get unstuck. Join a team, the nursery team, the preschool team, the kids' church team, the first impression team, the parking team, the ushering team, the worshiping. Join a team. Get involved. Participate. Don't stay stuck. Don't settle for anything less than serving God and serving the church he's called you to. Don't pull back this summer. Press on. God is calling you to a greater place, a higher place. He's telling you to aim higher personally in your home, in your relationships, in your marriage, with your children. He's telling you to aim higher in all that you are, in your occupation, at your job, with your health. And he's telling you to aim higher and come to a greater place in your church. Why don't you bow your heads with me. Father, I'm so grateful for this day. For the people that you have called here, oh God. Lord, you are a faithful, living, and a loving God, Lord. And Lord, my prayer today right now is that we would sense your presence, oh God. That we would be not condemned, no regret, no guilt, but we would just be comforted and encouraged, oh God. That, that, that you gave your life for us. That you have so much for us, oh God. And that right now you're just mercifully and lovingly just speaking into our hearts, oh God, to draw us closer to you. That God, however we might be doing the addition and subtraction, it's just the wrong math. 
Let us just put it aside and know that you are ordaining our steps, that you are bringing us to the place that you want, to your standard, to your righteousness. And let us hunger and thirst for that right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, oh God, for all that you've put into our life, for every relationship, oh God, for our wives, oh God. We thank you for them. We treasure them in Jesus' name right now, Lord. Let the passion and the love for our wives just build up. Lord, for our families, we cry out. We thank you, oh God. Just raise us up right now. Oh God, to love, to be tender, to be honest, to be kind, to serve, to love, to sacrifice in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray right now, oh God, that for each and every one that we will not settle for less any longer. We will aim higher in Jesus' name. And for that person who came in here today that did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that was not in a relationship with God, and you realize, wow, I think I've been settling for less. I think I've been stuck and this was just what I knew. And now I'm sensing there's something greater out there, something larger than myself out there. I, God is stirring me and drawing me closer to his standard of righteousness and I am coming. That you turn to God right now and you thank him for his faithfulness and reaching out and touching you and drawing you close to him because that's what's happening. That you would ask his forgiveness for living apart from him and missing the marker that he has set for you, his righteous standard. Thanking him for that forgiveness and for what Jesus did on the cross for you, that your sins would be forgiven and all that would be wiped clean and you would be made right before God right now, that you would be right before God and you could know him personally and have that personal relation with him. In Jesus' name, amen.